Welcome to a Radio 191 FM podcast. How did you actually like start getting into this? Like, what was your kind of origin into perfume? Um, I've always kind of had a, a I've been drawn to scent mm. as, as a sense. <laughs> um, I think it, you know, I've always been quite a visual person as well, yeah. and, and music as well has always been a part of my kind of output. And uh, scent just felt like. It needed to be in there as well, but yeah, just, just obsession with with things that smell and, and raw materials, and I've always been really interested in, in you know natural smelling, natural things that smell. Um, so just started out by collecting um, as many raw materials yeah. as I could find, and um, travelling as well. I've done quite a bit of travel and, and through Asia and, and, and parts of the world that have you know, where perfume sort of came from really yeah origin um, yeah and so yeah on my travels I've just collected things and brought them back to New Zealand um, and that was the earlier days I'd never really mixed scent much until sort of the last three or four years but a discovery as well of companies that make aromatic materials that you can buy like uh, there's one the biggest ones is called IFF yeah International Fragrance and Flavors Flavors and there's about another six or so of those big multinational corporations, basically, whose products kind of reach, I think, more people than any other, you know, in the yeah. world. Just, just things through scented goods, you know? Yeah, or just, like, they don't know, like, through candles and then exactly, like, maybe, yeah. like, the mass-produced perfumes and stuff like mass that. Mass-produced perfumes, but then also things like, uh, you know, disinfectants and... Uh, dishwashing liquids and soaps and, and everything, more things than you'd really realise have um, you know, um, these kinds of aroma chemicals in mm. almost like, like yellow five or whatever like food colourings and stuff like you don't totally. know that are in your, like, your food. Exactly, and th- those companies also make things like uh, flavours, so there's perfumers and then there's flavourists who work for these companies so that they, they, they are developing similar ingredients that um, you know, big food giants will buy to to use in their flavouring of their mm. food products. So yeah, these these companies are huge, but they um, make some pretty amazing um, aroma chemicals, and lots of them are synthetic and lots of them are natural. And, and like the patchouli heart I was telling yeah. you about is a, is a natural patchouli oil which has gone through a chemical process to remove some of the um, more muddier, non desirable notes out of it. So, yeah, once I discovered these companies, I, I started acquiring those kinds of materials as well. And, um, yeah, the next natural step was to just start composing perfumes. Yeah. I haven't trained, like, done any classical training. Yeah. Um, just all research and all just, research. like, kind of, like, collecting maybe a couple of books and stuff like that to, like, get a bit more understanding, like, those kind of classical aspects. Exactly, yeah. I think it's important to have an understanding of the classical background of it. But, um, you know, a perfumer, a French perfumer will say that you have to go through this perfume school mm. to even be called one, and that's kind of true. But also, uh, for me, it's more of, of, you know, like I said before, I'm just lumping it in with my art and music mm. and just treating it as... as another project like that and just using my own nose to figure out whether something's good or bad and then there's definitely a, a science and, and kind of chemistry element to it it's probably half of it yeah. to be honest um, so yeah lots of trial and error there um, but again you know if it, if it smells bad then it, it's kind of bad <laughs> so I'll just use my own nose to to um, distinguish everything like 
take everything apart for like, all right, this is good enough to like put forward exactly. for someone. Yeah, exactly. And and it's 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 also really subjective. Like uh, people people may tend to like something that others don't, and and sense, and that that's um, you know that's become very clear to me. Um, and even some of the big top end top shelf um, perfumes are people don't like. So mm. you know it, it doesn't really matter where it comes from. It, whether you like it or not, it's uh, subjective. So. Yeah. so, where, how did of body come into origin necessarily, like as more or less a branding idea? Because like your whole concept, I know from like at least from the first up was like this kind of like futurism of perfumes and scents. Yeah. So like, how did you like kind of I guess I'll say distill that. <laughs> um. Well, I had been, you know, tinkering away and mixing things in my, in my bedroom um, for quite a while before Of Body came, you know, into the, into the realm of being a brand. Um, I actually work in the film industry, that's my okay. kind of day job. So there was a, a need for hand sanitizer. This, mm-hmm. this is pre, yeah, pre-COVID. pre-COVID. Um, so I was kind of asked, if I could, but some of some of the, my friends that were working in film knew that I was making, you know, scents, um, and asked me if I could make uh, a hand sanitizer, which is basically just ethanol, mm. a, 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 a diluted ethanol. Yeah. That's all it really is, and then you can add a scent to it. So I made some hand sanitizer with my perfume as alcohol, which is a really um, high quality ethanol. Mm. Normally, you would use a cheaper kind of alcohol or even something that's potentially yeah. toxic. And a lot of brands will use like isopropyl alcohol which has something called a denaturant. I don't want to get too technical but it's something that makes the ethanol non-drinkable. So the ethanol that I use is, could potentially be ingested because it's, it's pure. There is no, there's no denaturant added. Normally those denaturants would be something toxic like methanol. So my my hand sanitizer is, is legally is legal because I've denatured it with lavender and rosemary mm. oil. So I've, my, my approach to the hand sanitizer has been very minimal, and it's kind of I guess you could say a perfume has made this hand sanitizer as opposed to a healthcare or medical brand. Um, so it's. Um, yeah, so, so basically I was asked to make this sanitizer and it became quite popular in the film industry and then I was asked to make um, uh, a deodorizer spray for the costumes, mm. which um, also became quite popular. And then um, it was COVID that kind of the demand for the hand sanitizer and the, the disinfectant became quite high, so I turned it into a brand. Um, and that's... Then perfumes was kind of secondary to yeah. the sanitizer, so yeah, just all of the kind of stuff that it took to, to make uh, it a business, like registering yeah. it, um, was done for to be able to sell the hand sanitizer and, and the deodorizer, which is called Novo, by the way. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, it was just kind of uh, the next logical thing was to just release some perfumes, but funnily enough, I haven't really been able to keep up with. Uh, a continuous line of perfume product. Yeah. So I end up um, doing bespoke works, which take up a lot of my time, and um, this, these things like the Lucky Dips, um, and working for for people who who, who have uh, requested any kind of scented product. Mm. 
Um, but this year I'm, I'm planning to really get back into um, a, a line of perfumes. Um, so it's not just hand sanitizer and, and no bow spray. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that's how the, the brand of Body came about. And weirdly, thanks to the pandemic, just kind of helped me yeah. group it into something. Even then, like, during lockdowns, like, I guess, put a bit more focus into things and, like, start developing exactly. different aspects. Exactly, yeah. And then, you know, I, I never thought that um, hand sanitizer would become a, an everyday thing for people. <laughs> and um, I still have stuck to... Um, you know, the values of that just being a really minimal formula that uh, doesn't have too much additives um, and is performance, is, uh, it performs really well. So it's, it's still a high, relatively high concentration of ethanol and it's just scented and, and the scent really doesn't have to be there. But um, like I say, it just kind of takes the edge off the ethanol. Um, people love that simple two-part accord. Um, and it's not too strong in there yeah. as well. So, um, I never thought hand sanity would be such a big deal. <laughs> and then it is, you know, it's quite uh, a high cost product for a sanitizer, but people say that, you know, it lasts a really long time um, and it's, it's good for their hands and, and that's all they really care about. They're sick of using these gloopy, bad smelling things. Yeah, the Dettols and stuff like that. Totally. I do have a love for Dettol mainly because of tattoo <laughs> shops and stuff like that. Because, like, sterile, sterile aspect. Yeah. Um, I've always enjoyed. Even then, how long does it take for you to develop a perfume? Like, especially for your, like, original mainline ones. Like, how long did they roughly take you to develop? Um, they took a really long time, actually. I've been playing with those formulas, like those, the, the cool ones that are on the website mm -hmm. that actually aren't available. Unfortunately, they took a long time to develop and sort of three or four years really since I've started um, actually making compositions. Mm. I've been working on these five or so scents. Um, and it's, and it, they, when, when you sort of boil them down, they're quite um, simple really. One's sort of a sandalwood based one, um, one's based around cedar, one's based around patchouli. Um, and with that whole futuristic vibe of, of, of body, it was more bringing in these aromatic molecules um, as opposed to just mixing essential oils um, and, and bringing that level of um, you know, they just offer so much more to the palate those ingredients aren't new they've been yeah. used for hundreds of years but the, 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 these companies like IFF and Firminiche that I was talking about earlier, they're, they're bringing out molecules all the time new molecules, some are captive like some, some I, I cannot get a hold of mm. you have to belong to that company to be able to use those ingredients. So it's, it's quite a yeah. niche sort of um, funny industry, but um, most of them are available to um, to anyone. But um, yeah, so the, the idea of using perfume molecules is nothing new, and there are some brands now that are like eccentric molecules that are just um, highlighting a single aroma molecule and, and, and marketing that. So all, there is only one note in those, mm -hmm. in those perfumes, and it's a, it's, a, it's a synthetic molecule. And so it's kind of a new idea, I guess, to consumers. It's a new way of wearing a perfume, to just wear uh, a molecule. So I kind of like that, and it's minimalism. And I've adopted some of those ideas, I guess, for my brand. Simple formulas, simple compositions, made up of maybe six to ten ingredients. 
that is using these um, aroma molecules as core parts of the of, of the composition. What they offer to a perfumer is such a bigger palette um, in terms of smell and performance. So they kind of do things that uh, have more of an effect than a smell. And I find them really interesting. Yeah. And there's thousands of them. Oh, so probably so many more <laughs> that nobody notices in their day-to-day life as well. Totally. And, you know, the, the cool thing about naturals is that they, you know, like rose oil may have something like, I don't know, maybe even over a hundred different single compounds, mm. you know, natural organic chemicals that nature perfectly does so well, you know, that, that perfume of a rose is so perfect, you know, yet it has a hundred of different things that nature's perfectly balanced to create the smell of that rose. Mm. And it's kind of what the perfumer does, is deconstructs these things that exist in nature and rebuild them into, you know, whatever the brief is yeah. or, or whatever the concept is for that perfume. So that's kind of a perfumer's job, is to recreate something out of thousands of different single notes. Yeah, yeah no. <laughs> yeah. Because even then, like, looking at the notes that most of, like, the commercial ones have, they're always made up of, like... Three top notes, four middle, and then like maybe eight bottom mm-hmm. notes and stuff like that. And it's, it's definitely interesting seeing how many different, like you always maybe smell like two of them as like the main focus point. And so, especially with this, you've mentioned um, a lot of these like lucky dips. How many do you actually like construct? Because a lot of them you do sell off and stuff like that. But also, how many of them have been like a bit more of a throwaway for you where it's just like this? didn't come out this was just an experiment but it's like yeah. a failed experiment for me uh yeah i mean lots <laughs> i think i you know the, the 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 lucky dips are kind of what i'll do when i'm um, trying to make something um is just sketch i call it sketching mm-hmm. it's just doing a really quick mix of, of a few things to see how they kind of go together um and quite often they'll turn out quite nice so you know i might make a hundred sketches that, that will go towards me creating one final thing yeah. um, and maybe 10 of those 100 are worth something the, the lucky dip idea just came about because I had so many things yeah. that I thought were still um, worth somebody having you know so it's just a way of me kind of clearing out stuff but a, a lot of them you know uh, end up being disposed of and, and I just clean the bottles out and, and some things can go really wrong and they smell bad, you know, and that's that's, that's a big part of what I'm doing. There's always things that go wrong. <laughs> Just because there's so many combinations of, of things, you know. But especially when I'm getting closer to a final formula, they get better and better. Yeah. And it's just really minute tweaks that need to happen. And the labelling is a big part of it. And, and, you know, quite often all I'll have information-wise for a bottle is what I do, mm-hmm. what I have in the label. I have pages and pages of, of um, sketched formulas. It's actually easier for me to label the bottle than it is to, have to go through pages and pages of notes. Um, so I have a little labelling machine and, and a, um, a template that can just spit out these little white labels. From, from there, they'll become... I'll move them into my actual formulating where I'll use a big spreadsheet kind of formula-based thing. And then it's normally at that phase any of the sketches from then on that go into a lucky dip because they are closer to being something, you know, releasable. Yeah, yeah. and a bit more unique. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
How many like oils and scents that you have to like create these? Do you have roughly? Do you assume that you might have in your collection stuff that you can always like draw from? Because especially like I've seen from the different labeling you've done, like so many just range from Neroli all the way through mm. Bergamots and mm. all that. And like how many of that do you like actually maybe like draw to and like use? Uh, yeah, at, at the moment it's a good time and ask this question. Yeah, I'm actually just. Um, creating an inventory right now, oh. um, which has around 700 ingredients on it at the moment. Um, and that's made up of yeah, essential oils, absolutes, um, refractions of natural things, and then a whole bunch of synthetic molecules. Um, you know, so it's, it's... But that's far too many, you know? Yeah. I, I think that's probably more for my research and just, and just seeing what's out there and yeah. you kind of have to smell everything. And, um, Developing the practice. Exactly. You just need to know what's available, really, and, and how each thing performs. But I try to get it down to a workable palette of maybe 100. And even that is too many, you know. But there's things like, for instance, the perfumes that are on the website. I have, there's probably 60, 60 different things that I use to create the off-body products. Mm-hmm. And then everything else is just for research and, and, and development. And so if, if I crack something, um, a formula that I like, then I'll end up having to order those materials yeah. in bigger amounts. Normally, out of the, se- the 700 things I have, you know, range from a mil yeah. to maybe five, five to ten mils max. Um, whereas if I need to constantly produce these things, I start to order in, in kilos. And even then, a lot of those ones that you might be reusing for the main lines, it might say lavender on the website, but it could be a different version of lavender that you have in that collection as well. Correct? Absolutely, yeah. And, and, you know, say lavender, for instance, I might have 12 different types yeah. of lavenders. And, and it, it's, it's a funny thing, you know, when you were talking before about, uh, like, the Chanel perfume might um, identify sandalwood as a note. The marketing side of perfume is a, is a, whole, a whole other thing, and... You, you know, you might have six notes on the marketing for a perfume, but in actual fact, there's 50 ingredients in that perfume. And the, the mainstream perfumes do have a lot of ingredients, you know, 50 to 100 or more or less. Um, whereas, like I say, my, my, my formulas are quite minimal. Um, you know, so you can really create any written visual world around these perfumes you like. You know, sometimes... It, my approach is to not tell people what's in it and just let them smell it and figure it out for themselves whether they do or don't like it or you know because quite often what I will write people will smell completely different mm. things so yeah it's a funny thing with with the the written worlds and what people actually do smell so yeah on my website I might have some notes you know I don't know five or six notes and that is kind of true to what's in mine because they're so minimal but, um, yeah, you can have a lot of fun with, with the marketing of perfumes, and people do. Mm. And it's kind of controversial whether you actually have what you say is in the perfume, whether it's in there. Because another controversial thing about perfume is you don't have to, and you never have had, had to, state what's actually in the ingredients. Okay. If, if, you, if you read on a perfume bottle the ingredients, it will have ethanol, 
bit it'll have uh, a, um, a line that says fragrance or parfum that may be hundreds of different things yeah then they will have to state the potential allergens so that's where you have to ever um, state you know it's, it's one of the many products that you don't actually have to say what's in it but there's a governing body called the ISRA um, and they basically state that the kinds of things that you do have to put on your label. Okay. And there's only a list of, I think, like 27 ingredients that you have to show. You know, like clove oil is a potential allergen. It, okay. it can, you know, um, affect some people. So you have to state that something is clove oil and its constituents. Um, you know, if you use a natural oil that has a constituent that's banned or, or, or restricted, you just have to put that yeah. in the ingredients. But the majority of the ingredients, you don't have to state what they are. So people really have no idea what's in the perfume. There's, there's normally only a couple of people who will actually ever see that formula, and it's the perfumer and the client, maybe not even the client. <laughs> yeah, so what I'm saying is you can choose to write whatever you like about the perfume. You can basically make it up. There's actually no real rules around that, funnily enough. Damn. Yeah. So I was... Of course, there's so many different brands and a lot of different places you take influence from. Of course, like you said, you, there's a lot of naturalism from growing up and stuff like that. What has been like one of the major influences for you, I guess, in the more commercial world that you like look towards? Like any specific perfumers? Um, for sure. Uh, I, I, I thought I, I really loved the Labo when it came out. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's, it's just a brand that I thought made really interesting perfumes. Um, and uh, I guess they, to me, resonated. I, uh, some of the mainstream perfumes, well, quite a lot of them, I don't really like. Um, I quite liked Comme des Garçons' approach to perfume as well. I thought it was quite conceptual. Um, and this Eccentric Molecules brand, I, I, I really quite like as well. There's only a handful of perfumers in the world. I yeah. think there's less perfumers than astronauts or something. Oh, really? Some, some crazy statistic like that. Um, actual perfumers. Yeah. You know, so. yeah, the professional ones that went to the schools yeah. and stuff like that, not yeah. so much hobbyists. Or... Yeah, I mean, and I, I would still call myself a hobbyist. Yes. You know, I, it took me a long time to, to even um, accept that term perfumer, and I still don't really. Yeah. <laughs> because I'm not. I'm, I'm not actually a trained perfumer. And mo most perfumers will end up at one of these big places I was talking about, like IFF or Feminish. Um, and become a perfumer for them. So brands will go to IFF and say, hey, we want a dishwashing liquid or a perfume yeah. or whatever developed, and, and it will go to these perfumers. Um, the Santel 33 was a perfume that I quite liked back in the day. Yeah, the, the, the classic. Uh, <laughs> the classic yeah. yeah, I've never actually smelled it because it's, well it's not really that. common here, but yeah, I've seen so many memes about it where it's just like, Bring in Brooklyn on the subway, like yeah. that's all you can smell. New York, it was a big, it was a big thing for New York. But then it was, it kind of had that impression. I think because it, it was so yeah. unique and then different, and people couldn't really put their fingers on it. And the Lavo sort of framed it as a sand, sandalwood perfume. But uh, what's actually going on there is 
anything but the sandal wood. It's, 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 it's a really well constructed um, perfume that kind of gives you that idea of sandal wood, but there's not really that much sandal wood oil in it. Funnily enough, and, and like I said before, that's sort of the, the trick and the, the magic behind the perfume is that the, the perfumer will use all of these amazing ingredients to give this perception yeah. or feeling, you know, when it may not even have any sandalwood oil in it. And it does. I, th- I think they use uh, an Australian sandalwood oil in that perfume, but there wouldn't be much of it. And most most of what that effect is is a very clever formulation of chemicals, yeah. basically. So I do know on the website you can see, like, on each of their, like, perfumes is, like, the, not so much the list, but, like, the ingredients, like, spread out and visualized for people. Yes. And, of course, they put the sandalwood very prominent no, in, like, a mass. Yeah. But I guess, yeah, trying to create that, I guess, impression of it, like you said, where yeah. it's, like... Yeah, it really just comes down to, you know, how does somebody perceive that... And, you know, it's, it's, it's not even you spraying it on your wrist and smelling it. It's more, what do you smell on somebody mm-hmm. else? It's, it's, it's kind of the ultimate end point, you know, for a perfume. That, that's when you really get it. Yeah. That's when you sort of smell it on somebody else. Quite often, when you're wearing it, you won't, you'll actually stop smelling it after a while, you know, and it will be more what others perceive. Um, but for the things that were on my website... it's more about experiences of my own and and Mexico was a big part of my travels and and, Mm -hmm. and finding raw ingredients there and they have such a strong sort of spiritual connection with with the Mayans and the Aztecs and all that and and, and burning, you know, as do many cultures of the world, uh, raw materials like myrrh and, uh, you know, so my travels there, this, this smell was such a strong memory and and part of of those experiences so there's one on my website um, called UV Haze and it's like a it's it's, it's my idea of of, of the kind of the smell of Mexico and and it it contains a copal ingredient Um, copal is is like a specific type of frankincense but from a a tree that's that's native and, and that grows in those areas so they burn that all over the place and it's, uh, it's just a sublime smell that you yeah. can't really get anywhere else. So I've sort of tried to bring that in back here and process it and bottle it to give, to give yeah. that effect, you know, of something that happens so easily yeah. over there. And you mentioned um, how it's noticing how the fragrance affects, well, noticing it on other people. And so I want to know, what was the, like, first ever fragrance on somebody else that you really know? Because I know for me, it was probably, like, one of the classic ones that my mom got uh, when I was younger, which was a Marc Jacobs one. She normally wore, like, Issey Miyake and stuff, and this was, like, the first time that that was, I guess, out of the ordinary for me, which really stood out. Um, Well, one of my first jobs was working at a department store at Wellington (laughs) Accordion's Day. (laughs) Not in the perfume yeah, um, no. counter, but um, in menswear actually, and that was right next to the perfume um, area. And yeah, this is going back sort of like early two thousands or whatever. But um, you know, when things like the Marc Jacobs was yeah. really popular, and, and Polo, and all of those big big brands, um, I think it's changed now. It's gone more niche with sort of perfume. 
but back in the day, yeah, it was those things. Um, so I was smelling those all the time, and whether I liked them or not, it was kind of you just accepted it sometimes. You just... And searching for there, it would have been a bit of a sensory overload, like so many oh, different fragrances, like blending together yeah. and just almost creating this, I guess, massive, massive cloud of everything. Yeah, yeah, and, and then that was kind of a part of the the marketing of the store actually was to have the perfume counter right by the door so it's sort of you're captivated by something mm-hmm. primal more than visual or you know um, you sort of smell it before you see it or hear it I would say it was that I think my mum used to wear a perfume called Escape and she also used to have this little um, ceramic thing that had caramel oil <laughs> do you remember caramel oil? I think it's a New Zealand company that make caramel oil but it's this really classic kind of hippie smell mm-hmm patchouli and I don't even know what's in it but um she used to have that and so I was always smelling those things you know and at that time never really thought it ever about how or why these things were made but you know it's only, it's only more recently that I that I ever wanted to try and make something like that myself but yeah again I, I think my approach is just more like an, any art form and to sort of give a feeling convey some kind of communication you know through that more more so than have a beauty product yeah you know? and I'd always sort of struggled with the industry I think I never really I'd kind of come from a punk rock background and mm-hmm. I, I'd always hoped that our body would be a bit more accessible and you know um, a lot less gatekeeping of the industrial complex of perfume totally, totally. and, and um, a little bit more outsider brand you know like not like I say not being a trained perfumer just mm. kind of winging it and it may or may not be right but it doesn't you know if it, if it works for, for the person yeah. that I'm making it for then that's fine which is also why the bespoke thing works so well for me and um, you know I can have sort of endless ideas from, from clients who come to me with their ideas so, so, so I think that's another part of why I struggle with having the, the website stocked with a, a, a line, an always available line, because I struggle with doing the same thing. Is there any um, sense that you're actively searching for? Are there any ones that aren't being, I guess, gatekept that you're constantly like trying to get your hands on, but there might be like way too out of your price range to access, or even then like just too rare or haven't been distilled yet? Mm. Um, yeah, and it's definitely the naturals, and I think I could say uh, collect naturals <laughs> because they are, you know, the, the, the stuff, the the, the the molecules and the ingredients that these big fragrance houses make. The, the the reason you would use them is because they are sustainable and are, are always available. Whereas to me, the the interest is in the naturals, things that you know are rare. So there's a, a, a type of oil called wood, O-U-D, um, or agar wood, and it's a, it's a natural material that comes from a tree that needs to die of a very specific fungus before it can be made into an oil. And um, yeah, it's just incredible. And each oil smells completely different depending on where it comes from and how long it's been aged. Or There's so many factors. and. So I kind of collect and, and actively try and find wood oils um, from around the world. And they, they mainly come from parts of Southeast Asia or India or the Middle East. Mm-hmm. And um, 
you know, they use on a spiritual level in those places. Um, so, you know, they can potentially be damaging to the environment in terms of how they farm. It's kind of like, um, you know, sandalwood really is no longer um, sustainable and it hasn't been for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't know if it ever will be. So, you know, sometimes when I get my hands on a bottom of sandalwood oil, it, it's quite important to me to know where it's come from and how it's been produced. And sometimes you may find some Indian sandalwood oil that you'll never get again. Yeah. And so when I'm putting those in perfumes, and again, that's why the application of bespoke is uh, quite good because I can express to this person that this is the only yeah. time they'll ever have that. To, to, to be able to always produce a perfume means I have to use the captor, uh, the, the sustainable, always available yeah. perfume molecules. And I think I think a lot of people don't or won't go out and try and find these, you know, it's such a kind of uh, niche world, mm-hmm. scent. I don't think many people are going to be going and buying um, perfume molecules. I think the I think the molecules are fun and, and they are cool and it is a cool way of wearing a smell. But um, to me, the real special stuff is in naturals. So yeah, I, I, I managed to find a really incredible, uh, maybe like five mils of, of sandalwood oil when I was in China recently, um, and brought that back. And you know, I'm. I'm I can offer it to mm-hmm. people who, who might want a bespoke thing. But yeah, a, a lot of those green ingredients, you might have one bottle of sandalwood oil that smells completely different to the next, yeah. and you may never get that again. And, and, and Indian sandalwood oil is on the verge of, if, if not already extinct, um, and, you know, my, my source sandalwood. So there's farms that pop up around the world, um, in, in particular Australia has a, has a sustainable sandalwood farm. Definitely. Well, thank you very much for talking to me about this. It's been a pleasure actually meeting you and being able to sit down yeah, in person you. rather than on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I didn't get, uh, yeah, you know, I could bang on for so long about it. So I hope it oh, makes sense. Definitely. Yeah, thank you. All right. Thanks for listening to a Radio 191 FM podcast. There are heaps more at r1.co.nz.